Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Nick Franklin, the CEO and founder of ChartMogul. In this episode, we talked about why Nick founded ChartMogul, the most important thing Nick learned about churn and retention, and why a bad onboarding experience will always cause a problem with churn. We also talked about how companies use ChartMogul to track their churn and retention, unique ways Nick's customers go about preventing churn, and the main customer metric ChartMogul focuses on. Nick also shared his insights on why customer retention is the number one metric you should track to help drive expansion revenue, why ChartMogul changed their revenue model, and how ChartMogul thinks about the ownership of churn and retention within their company. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Nick. Welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's great to have you. For the listeners, uh, Nick is the founder and CEO of ChartMogul, who serve over 1,000 businesses with subscription analytics and revenue recognition tools. Prior to ChartMogul, uh, Nick was the GM of Zendesk for Europe, Middle East, and Africa, followed by a GM of Asia, where he led Zendesk's rapid expansion into these new markets. So my first question for you, Nick, is uh, what drove you to found ChartMogul? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's really a number of reasons. Um, before Zendesk, which you just mentioned, I had been working as a product manager at a company called uh, Evi, which was actually uh, acquired by Amazon and became uh, Amazon Alexa. So it's kind of a question answering uh, service. And I think I, I, in that role, although it wasn't you know, quite the right role for me in the long term, I sort of found my passion in, in, in kind of building software products and really enjoyed that. But, but I, I joined Zendesk. Um, because it was just such a great company and a great opportunity to, 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 to join that company. So I spent, you know, three years, uh, two, two years in Europe and then three years in, in Asia building kind of support teams, uh, sales teams and sort of doing the support, doing the sales myself as well as, as building those teams. Um, so that, that was, um, that was awesome. But I also had this, um, uh, you know, kind of like just in the back of my mind, this always this thing, like I want to get back to building products. Um, and I guess also an ambition at some point to, to try and start a company to see if I could do it. Um, and so during, uh, at, at Zendesk, you know, we had had some internal dashboards for, you know, measuring 
MRR growth um, and you know some subscriber metrics, but it was sort of custom stuff. It wasn't real time, uh, and and it wasn't quite what I wanted. So as the as the head of the you know Asia region, my responsibility sort of raise the you know revenue growth in Asia, and I and, and the, the, the the kind of analytics that we had internally weren't really empowering. Like I couldn't slice up. I couldn't say, okay, what's the average revenue per customer in Hong Kong versus Singapore, something like this to kind of help us sort of plan. Uh, so I, I sort of got this, realized this kind of need from working at Zendesk. Um, so it was a mixture of, of seeing that need that, and, and then also um, just having this desire to get back to building product and, and trying to do a startup that kind of led me to eventually, yeah, leave Zendesk in, in, in the summer of 2014 and, and go all in on uh, on chart, chart model. Very nice. So like really starting with the problem that you had uh, internally experienced it yourself and then wanting to have that ambition and aspiration to start your own company as well. Um, so like you now, what is it must be five years into chart mogul? Is that right? So the incorporation date is, is I was going to say it's like a, a month tomorrow. So it's October 4th. Um, uh, 2014 so we're almost five years old oh, very nice well happy birthday for next month <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in this time as well like um what if, would you say has been like some of your biggest learnings when it actually comes to churn retention so you had uh five years now worth of cohorts you've been working with customers over the years like uh what would be some like a, a big learning that you've realized about uh, churn and retention in your business I mean, I, I think the biggest learning is that it's probably the most important thing <laughs> that, that, that you can focus on. It, it's like, you know, once you, I mean, maybe in the, in the very start, the most important thing is like how to get your first 10 or 50 customers or whatever, how to get your first customer. Um, but then very quickly after a few months, how to keep those customers and grow with those customers as, those, as they scale and their requirements um, get more complicated as well. Uh, you know that retention part just becomes I think the most one of the most important parts So I think people always say well, what's the hardest part and the, they say that well, the people people part of running a company is the hardest part Which is definitely true. I think the second part is probably the retention part in a, in a SaaS business So it's, it's probably my number one is just it's like one of them like getting the people right is probably number one <laughs> Number two is probably just getting the churn and retention, right? Um, so just learning just how important it is and you know how much focus it requires and how incredibly difficult it is to actually make meaningful impact on on the um, bottom line on that number yeah on the on the churn number um or the retention number it's so hard and it's usually there's very few silver bullets um and you know we, we you know i, I think i think one of, one of the th things i i one of my beliefs is it's usually never about the price yeah. It might be for the for the very small customers, uh, but the, the very small customers because they're you know SMBs, you know they're price sensitive, so it's about the price um, perhaps. Uh, yeah. But those those customers also don't actually uh, always contribute very meaningfully to the total revenue of of your business. So the the the, the churn that hurts is when it's like the mid-sized or, or larger customers because uh, that you know that actually hurts your your revenue growth. Um, and, and, and then it's usually never, it's never really about the price, even if they say, oh, it's expensive. I think yeah. what, what, the, the, it, what, what they mean is it's expensive for 
because it's not really solving the problem that they signed up for. You know, like they, they, they signed up for it to solve. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, so, so it's usually something like that. So I think, you know, the, 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 main, the main thing we're focused on, and I, you know, reducing our churn is, is like looking at, okay, when people do cancel, you know, it's, it's usually because it doesn't truly solve the problem. Subscription analytics is quite complicated. There's like lots of edge cases, right? There's lots of different ways to configure a subscription business. Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, for example, you can, you can pause a subscription. This was something that some of the billing systems like Recurly introduced recently. So then we have some uh, Recurly customers that use Recurly that integrate with, with Chartmogul contacting us saying, hey, we've started using this feature where you can pause subscriptions. Uh, and Chartmogul just ignores that and says the subscriptions are active. So, you know, and, and, that, and when that happens, you know, we're not solving the problem as the customer needs it to. So then they, so they get a little bit closer to saying, well, is this really solving the problem? that I signed up for. So we have to just diligently, you know, collate these lists of things um, and just, you know, prioritize them ruthlessly and like just, just whack, you know, sort of whack-a-mole. Uh, churn reduction for us has been, you know, really just collecting tons and tons of customer feedback via Zendesk tickets, support tickets, via, you know, if they do actually cancel, we always ask, you know, hey, why are you leaving? Like, what's the reason? And try and collect as much information as possible, and then just just be really diligent and and That's rigorous. And like, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. It's interesting that you mentioned as well the concept uh, of like the needs not being met because uh, something that came up in a recent interview as well with Ahmed uh, Rezavi from ServiceNow was uh, that oftentimes as well when customers uh, sign up for your product or service that their initial needs change over time. Uh, and more often than not in the beginning, they don't really know what the problem is they're trying to solve, but they have an idea about it and they do a bit of research and they deem your tool to be the best uh, fit for, for that specific problem. But over time, like as you mentioned, alluded to like things change within the business, like new features pop up that they would like access to, or would like to be able to support it. And that need now has shifted and those like sort of uh, criteria by which they're judging and uh, valuing your service against has shifted as well. So, Interesting, like to be able to keep a constant pulse on how those needs are changing is important as well. Yeah, I think I think there's two sort of areas, there's two time periods where churn is is a risk. There's like the there's the onboarding phase, where it's like, and, and interestingly, I think like there's a great article. I think it was on on a VC blog like OpenView or or, or some one of these VC blogs that that, that does a good job of. Uh, content uh, creation around SaaS, SaaS um, which is the title is your onboarding problem is a churn problem or your churn or your churn problem is an onboarding problem. And I think, you know, the, the, the reason that you have a, uh, a bad, you know, if, if your onboarding rate is low, it's often the same reason your churn rate is high. It's like people get a little bit onboarded and then they buy, but they don't, they can't quite complete the onboarding. So they churn. Or they can't onboard, so they don't buy in the first place, and the two quite, um, you know, quite linked, quite closely linked together. So there's that kind of risk, customer risk, in the first like three or four months of the uh, of them being a customer, um, and then and I think you know that often happens where there's a good um, there's a good book um, called uh, Survival to Thrival. Uh, interesting, fun name, but it's by uh, uh, a VC called uh, Tehi Te um, and Bob Tinker. They, 
wrote together. And it talks about like product market fit and go to market fit and the difference between these two things, uh, which we can get into if you like. But uh, I, think they, I think they also, there's something a bit earlier than that, which is sort of, uh, you can have market fit without product market fit, which I think is when, you, when, when your website kind of shows that, okay, this is your problem, we have this solution. So you might get like a high number of uh, uh, signups because they, people see that and they're great, I have that problem. Yeah. Uh, this is, sounds like a great solution. They sign up, but there isn't quite the product market. The product's not there yet. Um, so, so products like that often have, do have higher, high churn rate because the product hasn't quite built out everything that needs to be there to solve the, the problem. The promise. Um, exactly, the, to deliver on the promise. Um, and then the, on the flip side, as the other time that churn becomes like, dangerous and also this, this tends to hurt more is when customers scale and become big. Right, because um, these are like also your most valuable customers. They, you know, they join you when they're when they're tiny, when they're small startup, and they they grow with you all the way up to being uh, you know big co company. And ideally, you want to keep them and, and upsell to them as they become big customers. And uh, uh, Zendesk, actually, I think a, a big part of Zendesk's success was its ability to grow really well with its customers. Uh, you know, we we were really lucky to get customers like um, Airbnb and Uber and and, and these kind of uh, companies when they were you know just two people or three people um, and then still today I believe they're, they're you know, still being used today with you know thousands of support agents so they did an amazing job of that and hugely benefited um, so yeah you know we ours is ours is often mixed like you know we'll we sometimes have a customer where their kind of subscription analytics data science around subscription retention etc becomes so complex and so kind of unique to their business that we're not we don't our solution is not flexible enough to meet their requirements and that that stings and it's like you know it's kind of a you know do we do we do things just for that customer or do we let them go and be sad about it but that's you know that it's always um that's that that you know that's the hard part as well it's like how do you you know how do you how do you have that balance right it's not going of, too far uh, and not doing everything yeah. for everyone and then becoming nothing for uh, no one. Exactly. Um, you, have to kind of, you have to pick your sweet spot and really nail the sweet spot, right? Um, and understand and like might... your customer profile is as well that you're going after, yeah? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I see that uh, like definitely makes a lot of sense as well because I think in the early days as a startup and as you start to really get traction and scale, like as you mentioned previously, like people is the biggest issue. So. Uh, tools become a really good replacement for people in a lot of areas where you can, like you said, you don't have the luxury of a data science team and you don't have that level of sophistication yet. So you can bring in a service or a tool to meet that need, but uh, finding a tool that can actually scale uh, as the company scales and their needs is like, like you say, Zendesk is maybe one of the exceptions in this case where uh, they built such a great tool that scales efficiently with their company. And there's like no matter how many new people they have on board, they're not really going to be able to replace the service that it provides. But so you mentioned something earlier as well, uh, and I wanted to dive into it a little bit and uh, just get your opinion and from what you've seen from the market. I think you obviously have the luxury of being able to see how many different subscription businesses set themselves up uh, for success and how they go about measuring and tracking their subscription analytics. So. Um, you mentioned that there's a lot of different ways this can be done. And uh, I wanted to get like 
from your experience, like what do you think is the best way for a subscription business to start going out in the early days and to be able to start tracking things like churn and retention? Like uh, what would you advise a company do wanting to get started uh, and understanding these metrics better? <laughs> I mean, you, you've kind of, you've kind of, um, you know, like line me up to promote uh, our own product here, I suppose. Uh, so, so I'll give it a very quick plug, which is go for um, it. Go for it. <laughs> you know, if you, <laughs> if you, are, if you, uh, you know, I'd always recommend not trying to do your own subscription billing. Um, that, that, you know, I, I think very few, very few startups make that, I believe, mistake um, anymore. There are just so many great solutions out there. You can. You know, Stripe, which is a gateway as well, has built-in subscription billing, Recurly, uh, and Chargebee, and and others other products out there all have like subscription billing sol as a as a sort of sole problem. You know, as a as a great SaaS solution. And regardless of what product you go with, you can you can plug it into ChartMogul or a product like ChartMogul, and you know instantly get you know all the different metrics like you know customer churn, seat churn gross revenue churn, net revenue churn, all these metrics, retention cohorts, monthly recurring revenue, et cetera, from ChartMogul. And it's completely free um, as long as you have below $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue. So it's, uh, there's, no, there's no cost there. And we also try our best to produce a ton of content to educate um, you know, SaaS startups, subscription startups around what these metrics mean, how you can interpret them as well on our on our website, childmuggle.com. So that's, that's the plug, uh, you know, but there are, there's loads of stuff to look at. I mean, lots of, lots of um, companies and, and individuals, VCs do a great job of, of producing this content as well. Um, so, uh, I don't, I don't want to just, I don't want to just plug us, but thank, th thanks for lining that one up. <laughs> it's a pleasure. You mentioned as well, like, and I think it's definitely a very, very valid point and something needs to be emphasized. Is it like, there is so many different tools now in the market when it comes to billing uh, software that it doesn't make sense for a startup or for a new business to actually go ahead and build their own billing service. And I think uh, like there was a time when quite a lot of startups made this, this mistake and then you just never, you like realize at some point that you ended up investing more time and resources into building your billing uh, infrastructure than you do actually building your own product. So it's more often than not, it's better just to be make sure that you're starting with a good tool, a good service that does it for you, that it's their job to do this and your job to focus on the product and service that you deliver to your customers. Uh, this is something Absolutely, we learned yeah. at Hotjar as well. So the next thing as well then to like dive in a little bit deeper. So uh, we've got a good billing infrastructure in place. We connected to a good service uh, like chart mogul. So we're able to get our subscription metrics, uh, break it down uh, different uh, levels. Like what are some of the interesting ways that you see people analyzing churn and retention uh, through your service? And uh, are there any sort of uh, interesting segments or uh, ways of analyzing the data that you found super useful for your business? Yeah. I mean, you know, that like the, the, the best way to, Obviously, once you've calculated, once you have a churn rate chart set up, is to then start to segment it and like segmenting it by what plan, what subs, what you know, if, if you're selling three or four different uh, plans, you know, basic or pro plan or, or whatever, to segment by that and to see what is the churn rate retention rate for those ones uh, by price point as well. Uh, you know, if you have if you have a seat based model like or or any kind of variable pricing like 
usually we always see that the higher the price, the lower the churn. Um, so uh, it's because usually just SMBs are, are or st startups just a bit more fickle as customers. Um, so yeah, we, we usually always see that like the higher price is, is lower churn. Um, and you know, there's, there's other ways to segment it as well, like maybe by geography or by any kind of demographic data. One interesting thing I saw was um, Typeform where segmenting the uh, churn rate by net promoter score. So that they, they, uh, they, fed, they uh, fed the net promoter score uh, into the, their chart mogul data and they could, they could then slice the churn rate by NPS score and they said like, okay, quite predictably the, you know, the, the, the promoters, the people who gave a good score had a better lower churn rate than the people that gave a, a detractor or negative score. But the, by far the um, by far the worst churn rate came from the people that didn't uh, complete the NPS survey at all. So that that was kind of an interesting discovery for them. There's like even the detractors are actually quite invested in your product. Like they might give you a bad score, but they give you a bad score because they still love your product and they want you to make it better. Uh, but it's the people that don't even bother to fill out the NPS survey that you have to watch out for. <laughs> Those are the ones that are actually the much higher risk of, of canceling, which was an interesting, interesting. So it's the quiet, it's, you have to be careful of the quiet ones. You know what I'm saying? It is really interesting because almost counterintuitive way, you'd almost immediately think that people that give you a bad review are the ones. Uh, and I know similarly as well, uh, it's leave, uh, I can't remember now exactly who we discussed this with, but uh, they also looked at tickets that came in via Zendesk. And similarly, like if someone had left a bad uh, ticket, it didn't necessarily mean that they were likely to return. In most cases, it well, also indicated there it was a good uh, indicator for retention in their business. Uh, because it actually showed that people cared enough to reach out to support to try and solve their problem. Uh, they weren't just sort of fickle and either not complaining at all or just jumping off and leaving. So uh, I like that as well. Sometimes like the, the hidden insights are in the like less intuitive places to be looking also. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, like, uh, you know, if, if you want to cancel, you just cancel. But if you, if you want to fix something, you're going you're gonna to invest the time to engage with support. And then that's your time that you've invested. So if you cancel, you've wasted that time, right? Absolutely. So uh, your service as well gives different ways, like as you mentioned, to look at churn and retention as well. So you can look at it like a logo company level churn. You can look at it like the MRR uh, level or the AR. What sort of um, focus do you have as a company when it comes to churn and retention? Are you looking at the net MRR retention rate or are you looking at the logo company? Which one would you say is like the main metric that you focus on as chart mode? I think I think the main one is the gross MRR churn. That that's the one that we that is not offset by expansion. So net net MRR churn is like offset for expansion, and that's why you can have negative churn. Yeah. You know, if 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 your if your upsell uh, if if the dollar value of your upsells every month exceeds the dollar value of your your lost revenue, then you have this net negative churn. Which is great, and, and you know, you know, it's excellent to maybe if you're fundraising and these things to look, to, to look at and to, to feel good about. Um, you know, you know, it, it kind of gives you a high lifetime value and things like that. But it does, it's not very actionable internally when you're thinking about things. You, you kind of want to get the gross, um, you know, the gross MRR churn down, which is the leaky, you know, really the hole in the, the leaky bucket. Right? This is where the 
where you see all the dollars that you're losing every month. So you want to reduce that. That's, that, that's kind of what, that's, that's what we focus on, where we focus our attention. Um, in terms of logo and customer churn, I'd say we're, we're less focused because just the volume of customers we have, it, you know, it's quite high and, and, and there are a lot of very small businesses and sometimes, you know, quite often they're getting acquired or they're, they're closing down or, or you know, they're, these kind of things. So it's, we're kind of more focused on the, on the dollar side. Uh, than mm-hmm. on the on the logo side, but of course, you know we, we do want the number of companies to, that use our product to always be growing. So I think at some point, if that got too high, then we would need to focus more on the the, the logo side as well. Yeah, and I like as well that you emphasize the point on the gross um, retention on gross uh, churners because, like you said, as you said, like that's really where the leaky bucket is. Expansion can almost mask uh, the issue with the problem itself in some ways, because uh, uh, as you're growing with customers over time, like the, your most successful customers are the ones most likely to expand with you as well. So, having that gross uh, view like really allows you to uh, be hard on yourself as well uh, as a company and really focus on like uh, fixing the problem of churn itself. I mean, um, I mean, if, if if you have a business model where there's expansion, then then um then reducing the churn is just like the most the most important thing I think because the you know if they cancel you you, you lose out on all the future expansion right so yeah. not only do you lose out on word of mouth which for most B two B SaaS companies is is become, you know is always the the number one like uh, acquisition right. channel yeah yeah I mean it's it, it, it's it's always that right it's always word of mouth um, and awareness of your product um, over paid advertising right. Um, Absolutely. It, it's, it's always the case so you know if they cancel that it's probably that word of mouth is probably going to go away or it's going to be a bit muted right i recommend this product but we've canceled but you should try it right it's unlikely they're going to do that uh, yeah. so you lose out on that and you lose out on all the future upsell as well so. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about upsells as well. And I think like I can imagine looking at the product as well at ChartMogul, you've evolved over the years to introduce uh, different services and products. Uh, what was the strategy behind it? And like, when did you realize like the opportunity of expansion revenue, like when it came to churn and retention? I mean, we, we always had a model. So we've been through several different pricing iterations um, over the the course of our, uh, you know, over the course of the past five years. And, yeah. we, you know, we started off for the first, like, um, three or so years with a number of cust- subscription customer base pricing. So how many customers you have, how many actives paying subscription customers do you have dictated the price. So there was always an upsell in there. What we did after about one and a half, two years was change it so that we no longer kind of uh, asked you, hey, you're over your threshold, you need to upgrade, which was a huge amount of work to be chasing people up, saying, no, you really got to upgrade. Yada, yada. We, we, we changed the uh, pricing model where you know, we automatically upgraded you as you went, uh, as, as your customer count grew. Okay. Uh, and that, that was just really helpful to, to do that. I mean, Intercom does the same thing. Uh, lots of companies do the same thing. You just, you, know, you just roll it into the monthly bill. And we thought, okay, people won't like that, but actually it doesn't make any difference, no difference on the churn, and it just it reduced the number of like conversations we were having about price and all these things, like just by like a hundredfold. So that we should have done that from the start. It's just made it an automated thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you know, with 
if you're doing a seat, seat model like a Zendesk or Salesforce, you don't need that because you know you hire a new support person, you hire a new salesperson. You know the admin has to go into the billing section and, and increase the the license count, you know themselves, and they 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 take care of their own upsell. But if you're selling a product like an intercom or a chart mobile where it's like volume based, then having that automated is like is huge. And then we we also uh, switched about a year or so ago to revenue-based pricing away from customer-based pricing. This is because, you know, we found that we're getting more and more consumer businesses who have huge numbers of customers, sometimes, uh, yeah. you know, half a million customers or more paying very small amounts of money. So our pricing model just broke down. So we found that revenue-based pricing, uh, you know, and, and it's a, it's a small cut it's a 0.25%. So, you know, and if you're if you're a larger business, uh, you know, we, we can do custom pricing. But um, you know, this has been better in that we don't need to discount anymore. So what we found is that, you know, with the customer-based pricing, we had to always discount, and uh, that was always a pain. Lots of people with high, large discounts because they have a very high volume, low price product. But now it's 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 revenue-based. We basically er eradicated discounting from you know huge huge part of our, our business, which was, which was really good. Um, cause it's it just, it's just extra complexity. And then the other, the other thing we did is release a second product, which, um, we did a you know, couple of years ago, two or three years ago, which was kind of an internal need, which was this revenue, revenue recognition thing. Um, yeah. you know, we had, we had a need internally to do our, you know, gap calculate our, recognize and deferred revenue schedules so that we could uh, do proper bookkeeping accounting for uh, proper revenue reporting um, and so we decided that, that you know there's nothing on the market that worked for stripe or and recurly and Braintree that we used and thought okay let's build something internally and then we sort of packaged it as a as the add-on and released it and, and so that's that's become a nice upsell that we can sell to our existing customers if they have that that requirement also yeah, very interesting, uh, like in terms of the additional product. The, the one thing I wanted to ask then, though, was so it sounds like you've moved the value metric around a bit. Um, when it came to the value metric that you charge against and that you price against, like, what was your process in trying to figure that out? Was it just purely like realizing that uh, the model was broken and then you needed to fix it? Or did you do any sort of uh, research and customer development behind it before making the switch uh, to revenue-based? I think there was there was a couple of things um, really. The first was just the the, the, the discounting. We just we didn't want to be a company with this culture of discounting, and, and that was happening all the time. As it was a necessity, basically. Like if you know if you have a company on the App Store on the app, you know Apple apps, iTunes App Store that, that you know that's got half a million customers with you know at one dollar a customer or something, you know that the customer based pricing doesn't work. So we knew there was sort of a problem with our pricing, but we felt like customers was a good value metric we'd always stuck with that um, the reason we at the same time we had gone through this process of like kind of better defining the company's like mission and vision and you know we, we kind of came up with our mission of like our mission is to help companies grow using their revenue data or help subscription companies grow specifically using their revenue data so we thought well if our if our mission is to help companies grow their revenue then you know, if we're doing our job well and producing software that helps them do that, you know, helps them understand their business better, helps them improve their 
pricing model, helps them reduce the churn, you know, helps them tweak their, their business and, and therefore grow their revenue faster, then we also can you know, benefit from that in the, in the upside, right? So we, we thought it just aligns our motivation, our mission with the pricing model, which is, is nice. It's nice, because, yeah. And if it's, if it's custom, like our, our mission isn't to help them grow their customer base necessarily. Like some businesses should go up market and have less customers at a higher price and that's the right move for them. That's the, that will create the healthier business. Yeah. Uh, and some, a lot of our customers are, are in the process you know, of doing that, of going through that change and, and Chartmogul has helped them in, inform that decision process. They realize actually this is not a product that should have tens of thousands of customers. It's never, it's never going to work. Uh, yeah. it should, it should, you know, we, we should focus on larger businesses and Chartmogul helped them make that decision and help them make that decision, which led to, to, you know, a lot of revenue growth, but not necessarily customer growth. Makes a lot of sense. And, then, and like you said, like this way, you're aligning your growth a lot more with your customer's growth as well. Uh, so I have a hypothetical question for you. Uh, then Nick. like, let's imagine now uh, you get offered a new role, a new job, and for some weird, strange reason, you decide to take it and leave Chartmogul. Uh, and at this new company, um, you see like channel retention is really not great. Uh, you've been asked to turn things around. And um, you've been given sort of three months uh, to try and make an impact, to make a dent. Uh, what would be some of the things that you'd want to be doing in those first three months? I mean, probably just understanding what's the cause, right? Um, like, you know, making sure that you have uh, exit interviews or at least the opportunity to, to collect information at the time of cancellation to ask people why they're canceling. So you've got to understand that, right? You know, if it's a, a content thing, is it just like there's not enough new content being added to the platform or that people want to keep subscribing? If it's a, you know, a software product, is it, you know, is it just not fulfilling the need or is the needs changed? Or you know, is, the need, is the pricing misaligned with the need? Like there's a competitor uh, that, that can do it better for less money, et cetera. Like what, what, is, what, is, it, what is the driving? You just gotta, once you understand the driving factors, then you can think of a, a strategy, right? And usually like my, our, our, our general philosophy at, at our company here is to just pick like two or three things that will have like, just, just try and like, what are the things that will have the most impact and, uh, and the, give the most leverage out of, out of our time that we input, right? And, and just, do, just do those things. Because trying, trying to do too many things, you often don't do them very, very well. You don't know what, what, what thing didn't impact the churn or whatever it is you're trying to affect. So, you know, just, I think just understanding the core drivers and then, you know, creating a strategy for attacking those core drivers of churn, um, and, you know, just picking the one or two things that you think will have the biggest, um, impact. largest impact. Exactly. And those things might take a year to do, right. You might have yeah. to suffer through a year of, you might have to suffer through an entire year of, of bad churn to come out the other side with the solution that, will have the number one impact against that right and that was going to be my next question actually is that like churn is really an output metric and it's uh, like a lot of different inputs that impact it how do you go about measuring sort of that impact uh, early on so you don't need to wait a year to understand if like what you're actually working or what you're actually trying to do is making an impact or making a difference yeah that's tough right <laughs> just try i mean i think just like the more customer conversations you have, the more 
you think about the problem, you know, you know what I mean? The more you get into it. So I think, I think you have to kind of, you have to really understand the fundamental value that your product delivers, right? So yep. like with, with us, people want to, people want to, they want us to ingest their billing data. They want us to automate the process of calculating their subscription metrics accurately. Uh, and then they want to analyze that data and, and kind of get some insights out of that. Um, at the core, it's like, you know, people complain about things like, you know, if they have a lot of data, they might complain about performance, right? So the load speed is too slow to, to load your chart because maybe they have, you know, a couple of hundred thousand customers is quite slow, uh, slower than if you have just, you know, just a, just a thousand customers in your, in your account. So, you know, we have to, when I think about that, I think, okay, performance is, is kind of a little bit, it's very important, but it's also secondary to like making sure you get the metrics accurate uh, for people. That's kind of, I'd say that's more important. People don't mind waiting a few seconds if when they, after they've waited, they get, they get the core piece of value they sign up for, which is like accurate subscription metrics. So, so you know, if we have an issue on the accuracy side, we'll address that before we address an issue on the performance side, for example. So I, th I think always, always just like delivering on the core underlying, underlying thing is, is like the, the, you know, the, the product, right. the problem the product is supposed to be solving as the most important. And a lot of time, you know, it's easy to say, okay, well, what if we add this feature and this feature that will make the, the, you know, think it'll be more shiny. We can do an announcement, but oftentimes it's getting back to the basics. What, you know, what, what you, when you started the company, what, what actually hasn't been resolved from the very basic premise of the, of the business. Right. Yeah. I like that a lot as well. Cause more often than not as well, we just throw on feature after feature and then we add complexity to our products. But really like if you go to the core driver of why somebody signed up to begin with, like the actual reasons are pretty simple and the problems themselves, like they don't need super complex uh, solutions quite often. So I like as yeah. well that the way you just sort of presented it in terms of like uh, load speed versus accuracy and like having sort of a hierarchy that it's quickly easy to understand like, what our customers really want from a solution and like being able to prioritize uh, those against like feature selection or updates uh, to a product, I think is really, really critical in having the core drivers and knowing what your customers want. Very interesting. So next question uh, then again is, uh, and maybe this can be the last question because I think we're running up on time as well, but uh, in your opinion, who should own uh, the like churn and retention metric within a company? Ah, that's interesting. I, so the way we do it is that for our largest accounts, they are managed. So this is accounts with, I, I, I don't remember the exact threshold, but it's, it's over $1,000 in like monthly spend with us. They are like managed accounts and they have a named account manager. And that person uh, has like even their, you know, compensation package attached attached to retention of, of larger accounts. So I think with, with those ones, that's how, that's kind of how we do it. And that rolls up through customer success owns that, uh, that the, so that it's a division with our customer success team. That, that's kind of like the strategic account management. Uh, so, so that's working quite, we, we, I think we introduced that about a year ago and that's working pretty well because it means that, you know, for these large accounts that are spending a lot of money, they have, there's somebody like always looking at them, always making sure that, you know, we, we do everything we can to make sure that we're, we're meeting their requirements or exceeding their requirements. 
uh, in terms of just the general average churn number, because that that's only you know that's a slice of our customer base, but it's you know it's you know it's only like twenty percent or, or something approximately top of my head. Um, but you know, in terms of the the average churn, I, I think it's like sort of the whole company that owns it. Really, there's no. Uh, it's 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 definitely our VP of success who's kind of like uh, sort of managing the the measuring of those numbers and the and the insights into those numbers. You know, like slicing slicing the the churn rate by the churn reason, so we can see you know what the breakdown is of you know what are the different reasons for churn. So I, th I think it's sort of semi-owned by, by customer success, but it's really the whole company because it's like sales has to not uh, sell. Like, you know, we, we became quite strict in the last year of not selling uh, if we don't think we're going to meet their requirements. Like if we, if we think they're probably going to churn um, or there's a chance that they might churn uh, within a month or two because we don't quite meet their requirements, just, we just don't sell to them. We just say, look, it's, it's, it's not a good fit. Uh, et etc et etc so we, we we do a a good job of of sort of screening for requirements screening that our solution meets the requirements so that's part of the sales 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 doing their part um, and then you know a lot of it is like product and engineering team uh, and you know making sure that you know that there aren't there aren't any bugs or you know or if there are bugs they get solved quickly so it's 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 just kind of an all team effort really I don't think anyone really owns it um, the whole the whole company owns it I think in a way yeah, it sounds though as well that you do have uh, alignment in terms of the goals and the output. Uh, so although everybody is working on different aspects of the product or uh, different aspects of the customer experience, uh, it somehow comes and is tied back to that churn and retention metric. So as you mentioned, like uh, setting sales uh, requirements in terms of the type of customers that you sell to or on the flip side from the customer success uh, perspective as well, like having dedicated uh, account owners really trying to uh, fight and work for the customer renewal is really important. And then again, like you mentioned, aligning their compensation with that, I think goes to show it sounds like within your organization, you really have this good alignment and the focus uh, being around general retention, but no one really owning this such. It's, it's a company's uh, job and it's, it's your bread and butter, like we said at the beginning of the show as well. If you manage to yeah, solve for that, like you, you're a company that's healthy and going to continue to grow. And, and, and my personal opinion is that the product is the main driver. Yeah. Like if the product just works and you, you know, and it does the job it's supposed to, like people just don't cancel. Right. Like yeah. we, there are products that we've been, you know, go, go, people aren't going to cancel their Google app apps account. They aren't going to cancel their, you know, Stripe or Recurly or charge B account. If it's solving their billing needs, they aren't going to cancel, you know, uh, GitHub <laughs> subscription. I mean, just things that just really nail or Cloudflare or yeah, things that just really like or, or Zoom. You know, like things that just really nail the problem, really, Absolutely. really well. I mean, they they have they also have a lot of pricing power. A lot of these you know solutions as well because you know they uh, you know they're just essential, right? I mean, uh, so uh, I think th I think just making your product just absolutely essential is, is you know as essential as it can be, is, is, is the biggest driver of kind of long-term China retention improvement. Yeah, it really is like it is very, very basic level is you're either delivering value or you're not. And if your product is able to meet and deliver that value that your customer is looking for, like there's no reason for anybody to ever churn. Uh, we, we, we have an HR solution. And I'm, I won't name it because I'm not going to say it. But the UI and the user experience is horrible. Like nobody likes it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's, the, it's the HR solution that, 
works in the in the jurisdictions in which we have employees and and you know in germany and else else other places and things like that it works well it, it helps us you know do you know payroll and track uh, vacations and all that kind of stuff but it's it's, it's horrible the ui yeah. is horrible but we're not going to cancel even though I, mean, I kind of like to in a way just because it's not like <laughs> but it's like it solves the problem yeah. uh you know and, and there, was, there was no alternative that had all those requirements absolutely and i think that's an interesting concept as well in terms of like ui or design and stuff and it's like often like some of the things uh, you you want to pay a lot of attention to and they are super important and critical to nail uh, but like you say, if you're just really solving a problem, like oftentimes people will jump over hoops just to get what they need. And uh, they are a lot more forgiving as well if you are really solving a powerful pain point for them. Yeah, I mean, I my my I have background in like design and animation. I'd love to, I'd love it if we could just, you know, poli polish and, and make the UI as sexy and beautiful as possible. And that would solve the um that would be the answer. Unfortunately, it's, it's, you know, more, it's generally about the, the core underlying business logic that is the core drivers of retention and making sure you nail that. That's usually the core drivers of that stuff. Exactly. Well, I think we can leave it with that as well. I think that's a really great summary. Uh, Nick, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. And I, <laughs> I wish you best of luck now and success going forward as you grow out uh, Chart Mogul. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Bye now. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.